0: Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, will the rapid COVID testing devices approved by Health Canada help cut down on wait times?
1: These test um, kits will be allowed for for point-of-care testing, but they still are going to be used in very specific settings. They may be useful, for example, in long-term care settings where there has to be Uh, you know, uh, deeper screening, they may be used in rural and remote communities.
0: The commercial rent relief program ends without clarity around what will follow.
2: I think the worry right now is that that somebody who's been having 75% of their rent covered by the government, that when that assistance comes to an end and they're going to have to start paying more, they're just going to say, well, we're going to close down for good.
0: And Yves-Francois Blanchet says his experience with COVID-19 is a warning to take guidance from health officials seriously. There is no absolute protection. There is only ways to reduce the probability of catching the thing and giving it to somebody that might be more vulnerable to it. And for that very reason, we must be very, very careful. It's Thursday, October the 1st. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. John, thank you for being with us. Morning, Mark. What do you think about the decision by Health Canada to approve these rapid coronavirus testing devices? Is that going to make a difference as uh, the number of cases increases and the wait times for both tests and results have increased as well since the return to school?
2: Yes, I think it's that's a pretty crucial part of the equation. The the, uh, the rapid testing, the, the contact tracing, I mean, there were calculations made that you need to uh, test within 2 or 3 days and then contact trace within 5 days if you really want want to get control of this uh, of this disease. So I think this is a pretty pivotal moment for uh, for Canada as far as not controlling but at least having some semblance of some semblance of containment.
0: Do you think it's Fair to ask why this this sort of testing or why some other solution wasn't in place sooner, given that we knew there was a likelihood of a second wave?
2: I think that is a legitimate question, and it's a question that uh, Aaron O'Toole asked yesterday, in he's first day in the House of Commons as a Conservative leader. Um, you know, the government had talked about rapid testing as far back as uh, the spring. You know, clearly there was a, a move towards this. It seems remarkably coincidental that Health Canada... Uh, approved it the day after we bought uh, nearly 8 million rapid testing kits and the day that the leader of the opposition was standing up to uh, to attack the Prime Minister on this very point. So, you know, happy days for, for him because in question period yesterday he was asked about this uh, routinely and was able to stand up and say, well, we've just approved it. So um, uh, I have no indication that there was there was leaning on the bureaucracy, but it, it, it kind of all came together remarkably well
0: for the government. Yeah, Aaron O'Toole, in his first day in the House of Commons since becoming leader and also since recovering from the coronavirus and self-quarantining, uh, went after the government on its performance on this issue, saying they didn't act quickly enough, their response was not appropriate and uh, not acceptable, um, what did you think of, of his line of attack and his performance on his first day in the House of Commons as leader of the opposition?
2: I think he's had a pretty good start as leader. I mean, most of this stuff is common sense stuff that many Canadians will will agree with him on. I mean, the testing thing is only one area where, where uh, I think many people f- feel the government fell short. There was this uh, government pandemic pandemic warning system that was scaled back. So it may have flagged the severity of the threat sooner, but you know it wasn't there, or it wasn't there at sufficient, uh, at sufficient scale to make it clear that this was a major threat. So there are things that, that the government uh, got wrong. The other area that he went after the government uh, was on some of the relief programs that they brought in. Um, he said the Liberals got most of the program wrong. Now, I think many people would feel that the, the, the CERB was rolled out pretty smoothly and uh, saved a lot of people from a lot of hardship. But on the wage subsidy, you know, it came kind of late and wasn't particularly well subscribed. The commercial rent assistance program, which end, ended today, uh, there's no successor in place for it the leaf program which was for for big businesses has only just come up with its first candidate for assistance months after it was started so that you know it's been a bit of a mixed bag as far as um how the government has helped people i think that the general impression is that they they did pretty well because the serb was the biggest spending program and was was pretty spectacular in its in the way it was pulled together but, uh, but I think the, the opposition parties have got, uh, uh, again, some, some reasonable ammunition to say, you know, you didn't design these programs well. And just to finish on that, you know, as per- Beattie from the Chamber of Commerce says, well, you know, they were trying to design an airplane while it was in the air. So, you know, I think most people would agree that this is not the ideal circumstances to roll out multi-billion dollar assistance packages. But the government also tailored some of these things to fit its ideology. For example, the, the LEAF project, it seems to be more of a fig leaf to cover up for the fact that the government did not want to help big business. It did not want to help certain sectors, including the oil and gas sector, because it didn't want to say, we're going to have a green recovery, but oh, we're also helping the oil and gas sector. Right. So, you know, I think there was some ideology involved here. And I, I think there has been a lack of clarity. You know, we've got a, a rent assistance program ending. The government has said there is going to be some form of successor program. But they haven't got it in place yet. And they haven't said exactly what going to be. And I think the worry right now is that, that, that somebody who's been having 75% of their rent covered by the government, part of it by their, by their landlords who are taking a haircut on it, that when that assistance comes to an end and they're going to have to start paying more, they're just going to say, well, we're going to close down for good. You know, a lot of small businesses, I talked to my my barber, for example, you know, why would he can't afford to keep going if there's no rent assistance? And the fact that they haven't made clear what the successor plan is going to be yet, I think is a major problem.
0: Yves-François Blanchette also contracted the coronavirus. He was back in the House of Commons yesterday as well, uh, and both he and Aaron O'Toole talked about how this was a warning for, for everyone to take these uh, instructions and guidance from health officials seriously. Uh, do you think that message is getting through? And is this second wave, uh, is there, uh, are, are people reacting to this second wave by containing their behavior, or are we at risk of this escalating much, much further?
2: Yeah, I don't think people are tailoring their behavior yet. I mean, you look at Ontario, where the number of people getting the disease is doubling every 10 to 12 days. But the majority of those people have been in the 20 to 39 age group. And, you know, clearly that is going to spread into the to other age groups. But I don't think that people quite get that this is... We're in a situation that is that is different, yes, than than the spring, but it's actually worse. I mean, if you look at the trend lines in Ontario, uh, it very rarely, there were very few days it was over 600 new cases in in late April, early May. We're at 625 in in Ontario at the moment. The the rolling five-day average is, is over 600, and it is rocketing. I mean, literally exponentially, you're going to see yeah. that double in 10 or 12 days. So, Yeah, there was a so prediction got, that it
0: would get to 1,000 a day in the next week or so.
2: Right, yeah. right. I mean, I think that um, uh, we're going to start to see rollbacks of of the, the opening up of, of the country. We're already seeing that in, in Quebec. Um, you know, Montreal, for example, is now red alert, and you're, you're pretty limited in what you can do. You can't go from a red alert area to a restaurant in an orange alert area, for example. So I think we're going to see some uh, some real rollbacks on what, on the way that uh, people's behaviour is governed, and maybe then the behaviour will change.
0: The challenge, of course, is with those rollbacks comes economic consequences and other considerations. Kids not being in school potentially, that sort of thing. And I know everybody's trying to strike a balance here. And that's, uh, and and if it were just about containing the virus, then we would have kept the schools closed until a vaccine uh, was developed, right? So there's there's always the trade offs. Yeah,
2: yeah, no, and I think that that um, you know most of the. the provincial governments we're talking about uh, Francois Legault in, in Quebec, and, and uh, Doug Ford in, in Ontario—are very conscious of that fact. You know, I mean, they're, they're, they are small business people, but um, it does seem that the only way that you can contain this virus is um, is by putting limitations on on people's behaviour. Um, maybe the rapid testing will will change that, and and. Uh, yeah. You know, if people are able to self-diagnose pretty quickly, then, then maybe that is a game-changer. But uh, but that's some way in the future yet.
0: All right, John, great to have your instant analysis on all of this today. Thank you very much. Thanks, one. That's John Iverson of the National Post. No one has established at all that there
2: is fraud related to mail-in ballots. That this, somehow it's a fraudulent process. It's already been established. It's, it's, Take a look at Carolyn Maloney's I, I, race I You yeah. had an opportunity look to respond. Look at Carolyn Go ahead.
0: They have no idea Vice what Vice President happened. Biden, it's, go ahead.
2: He has no idea what he's talking
0: about. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, Susan Delacorte argues Donald Trump's America should be on the list of fragile democracies where Canada sends election observers. Delacorte writes... If Trump decides to dispute the results of the November 3rd vote, Canada needs its own eyes and ears on the ground. Justin Trudeau has ordered his Liberals not to get involved in the U.S. election, but an observation team could be strictly nonpartisan. This election matters. Democracy itself is being called into question by no less than the leader of the country and one of the chief contenders in this messy vote. In The Ottawa Citizen, Terry Glavin argues, we are witnessing the end of America as we know it. Levin writes, The Democratic world's worst nightmare is not an American Election Day victory for Trump's Republicans, which would be catastrophic enough. It's the prospect of Trump losing but refusing to relinquish power on the pretext of a purportedly illegitimate vote result. It is no longer far-fetched to imagine this happening. Trump himself has come close to making it a campaign promise. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun questions the value of lockdowns. The Sun writes, Not everyone believes lockdowns are the right way forward. And not just laypersons, but medical experts. On Tuesday, a group of 20 specialists sent an open letter to Ontario Premier Doug Ford to voice their opposition, bringing up the need to protect the most vulnerable, make sure kids can go to school, and address the growing health crisis brought on by the lockdowns, which range from increased opioid deaths to cancelled medical procedures. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. With every passing day, federal politics is more and more monopolized by concerns about the second wave of COVID-19. And as CPAC's
1: Martin Stringer reports... The focus is on two provinces in particular. Mark, today marks the first of 28 days of heightened restrictions in three regions of Quebec, as bars, restaurants and nightclubs are virtually closed in the province's red zones, including Montreal and Quebec City. And Premier Francois Legault hasn't ruled out adding other regions to the designated COVID hotspots. But the big question now is, when will Ontario Premier Doug Ford announce heightened public health restrictions in his province? Yesterday, when Ontario's senior public health officials released their forecast for 1,000 new coronavirus cases a day in Ontario in October, everyone wanted to know what the Ford government intends to do. The premier said he had to take the issue to his cabinet, that while hospitals, doctors groups and epidemiologists are all calling for him to follow Quebec's lead and introduce more stringent public health measures. But the concerns from beleaguered business groups are also coming through loud and clear. All of this is going to be discussed at tonight's conference call between the Provincial and Territorial Premiers and Prime Minister Trudeau. Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister Chrystia Freeland has already promised the provinces and businesses enhanced financial assistance. So all eyes again will be turning to Ottawa as the country's two most populous provinces wrestle with the second wave of the coronavirus pandemic and B.C., Alberta, and Manitoba also deal with the growing infection rates.
0: Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will start the day hosting a call with provincial and territorial premiers. He will also speak during a meeting on the 25th anniversary of the Fourth World Conference on Women, followed by an announcement with Infrastructure Minister Catherine McKenna. Small Business Minister Mary Ng will speak virtually at the Health Network's first annual general meeting. Minister of Seniors, Deb Schulte, will take part in a roundtable discussion on how to make Canada more age-inclusive. And Governor-General, Julie Payette, will take part in a live-streamed conversation about how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected the health and well-being of women across Canada. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, October the 1st. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.